Good morning. Hope you are well. Glad you are with us. Welcome to our worship service for Sunday, October 25th. I will be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. <clears throat> Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, <clears throat> to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is God's word. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for our spiritual ancestors and how you worked among them. And just as after Moses died, you continued to work in Joshua, we pray that you would work in us as you have worked in our ancestors. Just as Moses looked and saw the land, Lord, we look and we see your kingdom promise. And we see um, how hard it is um, to be completely fulfilled in this fallen world. Uh, when I read this passage, Lord, I, I think of a great preacher, obviously, Dr. King, who referenced this famous passage about looking into the promised land. And we think of those words, and we think of the story of Moses, and we think about what it means to see into the promised land, but to just sometimes feel like we can't completely get there the way that we want to. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us peace, knowing that you are there, even if we have not yet fully attained it. Lord, so many things are on our hearts and minds. It's been a full week for the city of Nashville. We're grateful that that debate went off without, without anything violent or just really unforeseen happening and that things seem to be peaceful. We're happy for our, our good friends at Belmont that that went well and how it reflected well for our entire city. Lord, we pray that you would guard our hearts and minds in the coming weeks. Help us to be people of peace people of stability, people of justice. Help us to listen well. Help us to be encouragers when we interact in a time when just so many people are discouraged. And Lord, help us to trust in you and seek your face just as Moses did, just as Joshua did, and our other spiritual ancestors. We pray this through the name of Jesus. Amen. Feel free to stop the recording now and Worship the Lord. I'm going to be reading from the 
90th chapter of Psalms, verses 1 through 6, and then 13 through 17. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. And on to verse 13. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for for you and for the gift of your Son and for your mercy and your grace that you show us day after day after day. Father, please watch over us and guide our hearts and our decisions, um, heal our relationships, and heal the sick. God, I want to say a special prayer for uh, Mary Ann Corley, and I pray that you will heal her breast cancer, make it go away. Uh, God, I pray that you will watch over this country as we um, as we enter the election, and uh, I just pray that you will unify us and that you will um, just heal any damaged relationships, Father. God, again, we thank you for the gift of your resurrected Son, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Feel free to stop the recording now and worship the Lord. Good morning, church. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in our city, our state, our country, and our world. And the lectionary reading this morning um, is an interesting reading with a lot of depth to it. And so I want to tell you this. There's not a lot of clever illustrations this morning, and there's a lot more page-turning in your Bible than maybe we're accustomed to. But this scripture tells us something that I think could really give us a lot of grounding today and in the coming weeks and in the coming year. And I think it's really important. So grab a Bible, and we'll be flipping to several scriptures. Because this story, this scripture tells us what's really going on. So, what is going on in the world? Where do I fit? What am I supposed to be doing? How's this all going to turn out? These are some of the basic questions of life that have only intensified this year. How do we see the world, interpret history, and figure out how to live? These are the great questions of today, and, and any day for that matter, The Christian faith has an answer to these questions, but it starts with its own question, a very important question. Who is Jesus? And that's the most profitable question any of us can ask. 
Who is Jesus? The more we know about Jesus, the more we know about ourselves. And I can't think of anything better for us to be doing this year, and especially in the coming weeks, than wrestling with this. Who is Jesus? For everything we need to know will flow from that search. In Matthew chapter 22, the religious leaders have been trying to trap Jesus, and we've been looking at some of these readings. They've been trying to trap him with trick questions. And we have a series of four questions, but the last one is unique because Jesus turns it on them. Jesus flips it around by asking them a question. Whose son is the Messiah? And it's a question about him. It's another way of asking, who is Jesus? You see, he wants them to know that their confusion on the prior three questions lies in this. They don't really understand the Messiah. And Jesus is the Messiah. So our reading comes from Matthew chapter 22, 34 through 46. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and that was the previous question about marriage at the resurrection. Okay, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And he said to them, Well, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, and this is Psalm 110.1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one would, no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm going to start with the question he poses, and then at the end, I'll come back to that third question about the greatest command. And for me, this is all a little technical, but if we hang on, it has a really good payoff in the end. So let me set it up this way. Have you ever sat down to watch a TV show or a movie halfway through with someone? You're jumping in without knowing the whole story, and so you say, hey, can we pause this a second and catch me up? Who's who? Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? What's going on? I've had the same experience watching sports. I don't know a ton about soccer or hockey, but on more than one occasion, I've watched a game with a friend, and I wait for a commercial, and then I say, hey, can you mute this? Okay, who are we rooting for? Who's winning? What's the strategy? Catch me up on this. And this is what Jesus is doing in this exchange. He's trying to catch them up on what's really going on because they're hopelessly confused. And some of that's due to their hypocritical, sinful quest for power, which we talked about last time. But some of this is due to the fact that they don't understand the Messiah. And by explaining the Messiah, Jesus explains himself. Jesus is the Messiah. And when we understand that, it begins to unlock all these other major life questions. So let's read this part again. This is 41 through 45. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And he said to them, How is it then that David, speaking about the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, Psalm 110.1, 1, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, I'm sorry, until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? The people of the day believed the Messiah would be a descendant or son of David. From a human perspective, it's true. But from a divine perspective, there's more to the Messiah that they are missing. The Messiah is both human and divine. We know this, but this is how it explains it to him. He references Psalm 110.1. We've talked about this before, and we should, because it's really critical. It's one of the most referenced, if not the most referenced, Old Testament verse in the New Testament. And it should be a verse that we memorize, because Jesus and the early church held it dear. And it reads, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If you read this in the Old Testament, you'll notice that the first Lord is all caps, meaning it's the translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. This is the divine name which Moses hears at the burning bush. The second Lord is not all caps, and it's Adonai, or Master. Jesus shows us that David saw that second Lord, Master, as the Messiah. Jesus shows us to interpret this as David hearing, Yahweh said to the Messiah, Sit at my right hand, and so I'll put your enemies under your feet. David saw the Messiah as his Lord and Master, not his biological son. The Messiah already existed at the time of David. The Messiah existed before being born of Mary. Uh, We sometimes think of this as the pre-incarnate Christ. The Messiah has always existed. The Messiah is eternal. From a divine perspective, the Messiah is the Son of God. From a human perspective, the Messiah is the Son of David or a descendant of David. Okay, this teaches us true, I'm sorry, this teaches us two really crucial things. First, the Messiah is God. Okay, to be the Son of God is to be God. And every time I try to explain this concept, I feel like I'm on the verge of heresy. Okay, but let me give it a shot. I'll put it this way. You have Father God and Son God. And these are, of course, illustrations. The Father-Son language is illustrations of divine relationship put in human terms for our understanding. Okay, Father God and Son God are different in that they are two divine persons with different first names, as I've phrased it here. But they're both God with the same last name, as I've phrased it here. Okay, big picture, we think of God as Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's just a human way to describe that God is everywhere, as well as understanding the roles or persons in God. God is one, God is three. We've said this before. God is singular and plural, individual and communal, simultaneously. The teachers of Jesus' day failed to understand that the Messiah would be God. And that is why they saw Jesus as blasphemous. That is why they were so resistant to his authority. And we need to understand that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is God. For this will help us see Jesus as the authority in our lives. This scripture also teaches us a second thing besides that first point that the Messiah is God. The mission of the Messiah, the Son of God, is to put all things at the feet of the Father. If we know who Jesus is, he's the Messiah, the Son of God, then we begin to see what he's up to. And if we know what Jesus is up to, he's putting all things at the feet of the Father. Then the invitation 
to follow him makes sense. We've been asked to join him in putting all things at the feet of the Father. So what does this mean? Picture a throne room. Picture an ancient ruler on the throne. And the throne's on a higher level than everyone else in the room. The feet of the king are above everyone else. This demonstrates in a very real physical sense that the king is above all. And kings normally had a person at their right hand who helped carry out his will. And the king would tell this person at the right hand, do this or do that, make sure things happen this way. And when things went well, the right hand helper would say, king, all things are at your feet. But when things did not go well, the right hand helper would say, all things are not yet at your feet. So the foot image becomes a metaphor for the will of the king. So let's look at a few pictures of this to see how this plays out. Okay, let's look at Daniel 7. Daniel's chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. Daniel chapter 7, 9 through 14. In Jesus' time, the book of Daniel was one of their most read books as they sought to learn faithfulness in a time of exile under Roman authority. And this passage shows both the throne room image that references the foot thing, as well as the divine nature of the helper to the great ruler. So the Messiah, or Son of God, is going to show up as the Son of Man in this story. And God the Father shows up as the Ancient of Days. And this is Daniel's vision. Daniel chapter 7, 9-14. through 14. Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took a seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him, and thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. And then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me, was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Notice that the Son of Man is the right-hand helper. He's been given authority to carry out the will of the Ancient of Days and to put things all at the feet of the Ancient of Days. And notice also in verse 14, the Son of Man receives worship. The Son of Man, being in human form, and remember, this this is the great description of Jesus in the Gospels. He's constantly referred to as the Son of Man, and and Jesus references this phrase um, in his Passion. The Son of Man in this story receives worship. Both the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man receive worship. One God in two persons, at least in in this part, Father and Son. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus, or this is what Jesus is up to. We can follow this foot metaphor throughout the entire Bible. And if we follow the feet, we'll understand Jesus, our world, and our place in it. So in Genesis 3.15, when God curses the serpent, God says, a descendant of Eve will put the serpent at his feet. Genesis 3.15, 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That's putting all things at his feet. We just mentioned Psalm 1101 in Daniel 7. And then we come to the ministry of Jesus. And look at a verse like Matthew 15.30. Matthew 15.30. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet. And he healed them. And that's both a physical description and a spiritual description. When Jesus welcomes and heals the sick, he's putting their lives and their situation at the feet of God. This is God's will. The entire purpose of Jesus as Messiah was to bring the kingdom to earth. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's the Lord's prayer, right? The kingdom is the will of God, and the metaphor for the will of God is this all things at your feet reference. Let's see how Paul phrases it in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28. And embedded within this is a quote from Psalm 8. So this foot thing is throughout the entire Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Then the end will come, Paul is saying the last days, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, this is talking about Christ, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he is put all enemies under his feet. Now the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. That's the end goal. All things at the feet of the Father and God being all in all, God's will all in all pervasive reality. Family, this is what Jesus is up to. Stephen says as much at his martyrdom in Acts 7. You know this. We've referred to this so many times. Stephen looks up at his martyrdom and he sees Jesus where? At the Father's right hand. Jesus is still working to put all things at the feet of God. And how does this affect us? Jesus has put our lives at the feet of the Father. And then Jesus recruits us to work, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which Jesus is pouring down, to put all things at his feet. Until Jesus returns to finally conquer death, our greatest enemy, and he'll return at the second advent, we will continue to work for God's will to be done in our lives and in our world. This is what's going on in the world. This is who Jesus is. This is how we find our place. By joining Jesus in this work. This all goes back to the first part of the passage, right? When they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? And he answers by saying, love God. That's a quote of Deuteronomy 6.5. And then he offers a second commandment. He quotes Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we put all things at God's feet? First, we love God. Second, we love our neighbors. And when we do that, when we do that, we've helped put things at the feet of the Father. We've helped bring the kingdom to this earth. We've been about the will of God. Family, the disorientation of 2020 is real. It's confusing. It's bewildering, and it will only ratchet up in the coming weeks. It's only going to ratchet up, and people are going to lose their mind and go crazy. Back in April, I said something in a sermon. I said, I don't think everyone's going to get through this year with their faith intact. 
Sadly, that's been true for some. But my heart's desire for each of you is that you survive this year, but more. My heart's desire is not just that you survive, but that you thrive as a follower of Jesus. I mean, can you think of another time in your life when there was a greater need for God's people to stand up and truly be God's people and to have a public witness of holiness, love, peace, and righteousness? So here's the number one thing you need to know to survive and thrive in this time. And you must know this. You must know who Jesus is. Because if you can answer the who is Jesus question, everything else is going to fall into place. I know there's a lot of other things on your mind right now. There's a lot of other distractions. But I encourage you to spend just a few minutes every day wrapping your mind, wrapping your heart around this question. Who is Jesus? And as we, as we learn that more and more, it's going to give us an anchor and a stability and a power that is so needed in this time. Family, Jesus is the Son of Man, the Son of David, and the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is God. And Jesus is putting all things at the feet of the Father. Let's join him in that kingdom work. Please take a moment to uh, to worship God and to prepare your hearts and minds uh, for communion. On the night before our Lord Jesus Christ was handed over to suffering and death, he took bread, and after he had blessed it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take and eat, for this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper he took the cup, and after he had blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray. God, come to us in the body and blood of your Son in this bread, and this cup. Come to us in this community of faith, in the strong arms of the church. And may we find here the strength to repent and the will to love you, to love our neighbors, and to love our enemies. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was it in deceit, 
But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionate, affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day, and we we know that things are hard right now with the pandemic, and we pray for your mercy on us for that. But we also know that there are others who are having a worse time of it than us. And we pray for the, for the safety and health of those. We pray for everyone who is having trouble right now. And we pray for peace and forgiveness for all. In the Lord's name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Hope everyone has been enjoying the beautiful fall weather so far. Uh, we have a few birthdays to announce today. Um, today is Laura Sullivan's birthday. Tomorrow, the 26th, Anna Copeland turns the big 1-1. That is definitely a big deal. The next day, the 27th, is Judy Jackson's birthday. And on Thursday, the 29th, Jeremy Martin has a birthday as well. If you see or talk to these uh, guys or gals, please wish them a happy birthday. Not a whole lot more. As always, if you are interested in helping deliver food as part of the MNPS Food Drive, CJP. The Room in the End season is upon us very soon, so if you have some interest in helping out with that, see Paul Spivey. Definitely continue to keep Marianne Corley in your prayers as she will be starting the treatment process soon. And keep everyone else on our prayer list in your prayers. Thanks everyone and God bless. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, a podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.